Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad. It is Ranks FC, and we are doing our best to get ahead of the game this week. There is exactly a week until the Europa League final. But with it being my favourite competition, we wanted to give it the time and space it deserves. So that ahead of kickoff next Wednesday night in Gdansk, you have all the information and tidbits of knowledge you need to impress your mates about not only the final, but the competition as a whole. So welcome to our UEL special. My name is Jack Collins and joining me as ever, Mr. Sam Tai. I cannot wait for this campaign to be over, Jack. <laughs> and Mr. Teen Jones. Hello, mate. Do you want me Hello, to tell you mate. why? Yeah, go on then, Sam. Because, right, they've done that. They've done, I feel like UEFA have tried to screw over all of the Call of Duty gamers that also watch the Europa League. By putting it in Gdansk, which sounds an awful lot like where Warzone is based, Verdansk, I have continually swapped these words out and used them in the wrong context for the last four months. And so finally, I'll stop making this error roughly sometime next week. Right. Um, that is the weirdest the yeah. weirdest reason I've ever heard for wanting a campaign to be over. I'm excited for next year because obviously next year is the birth of the Europa Conference League on top of the Europa League. And my kind of weird niche love of these competitions is going to go into overdrive. Yeah, I think you need to do a one minute explainer of that, by the way, on our um, on our Twitter page, because the amount of people that have texted me recently and said, what is this? Um, and I'm like, then I asked Jack. And they're like, can't, I don't know him. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get him to do just a one minute explainer on Twitter. I think that'll probably do really well because generally nobody knows. And okay. I think a lot of people don't even realise that it starts next season, like even though there's that spot in the league table. So I think that might be your job, mate, after this pod. All right, we'll get it on our Twitter at some yeah, point. Yeah, uh, do well that one. Weeks. Right, before we get on to that showdown on the Baltic coast and beyond, it's time for things we love. And DJ, I know you have some big old transfer news you want to discuss. Well, I love transfer sagas, lads, because it keeps me in a job. I'm sure I will become sick of this one, but for now, it's new news. And so let's just embrace it. Harry Kane's told Spurs he wants to leave. Um, and here we go. One of the stories of the year. Um, Did you just say, here we go? Yeah, he hasn't got that copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to actually leave? Not true. No, of course he's not. Like Because nobody's got £150 million to spend on Harry Kane. It's a really weird story because on Monday, everybody got really excited because this news broke on Sky. Sports saying, Harry Kane's asked for this transfer, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh, Kane's actually leaving. He's actually leaving. It's like, there's a big difference here between telling Daniel Levy that he'd like a transfer and actually getting a transfer because Daniel Levy isn't, does not want to sell Harry Kane. And that's a massive problem. And if he does sell Harry Kane, it's going to be in excess of 150 million pound and nobody has that nobody has that so i don't really see how this transfer is going to get off the ground um i think it's been reported that kane wants some direction on this from tottenham before the euro starts that that's literally in like four weeks so that's not a lot of time to sort that out i think personally that harry kane sees the opportunity here to join man city city definitely like harry kane and they're keen there's no sign of Man City paying that sort of money for a centre forward, let alone a centre forward who is getting to the end of his 20s, um, is showing himself now to be injury prone and is going to have no resale value. So it's an interesting one, like because you're going to be paying Kane so much money as well. Like that next contract, if he leaves, will be in excess of 300 grand a week. So to pay over 150 million pounds, over a million pounds a month, over five years for a player that seems to have broken ankles. It doesn't, it's not great business, lads. It's not. And I know that sounds strange because Harry Kane is joint top scorer in the Premier League. He's leading England into the Euros. 
but I'm not sure that's a great deal for anyone. And because of that, I'm not sure, to be honest, that Harry Kane is going to leave Tottenham. It's not a great investment, would be no, my, exactly. my argument. It, it, look, uh, there's no. It's a doubt good buy, but not a good investment. Yeah, he's an Absolutely. amazing player, and That's we're not it. under any illusions. Yeah. But you are right, Dean. From a from a business perspective, from like a modern transfer perspective, this is a deal that you don't touch. Yeah, and it's it sounds crazy, but like that's how football is these days, isn't it? It's especially right now on the back of COVID. Like a couple of years ago, you probably would have got Real Madrid taking a punt on it, but they can't join this join in right now. Maybe PSG could do it if Mbappe leaves, but I don't think Harry Kane wants to join PSG. To yeah. be honest with you, that's it, isn't it? That seems like the only logical solution because you'd imagine that while Harry Kane wants to stay in England, and and apparently that's what he said. You can imagine Daniel Levy looking at that and be like, don't think so, mate. Um, yeah. The last thing I want to do is sell you to a competitor um, yep. in, in inverted commas. Um, and, and But then, you know, you can't imagine Harry Kane be like, yeah, what I really want to do is is, is win Liga. That's, that's what I'm <laughs> after. That's what I've always If done. he wants to do that, he should join Lille. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they definitely don't have the money for him. I mean, no one. I mean, obviously PSG have have the money from their owners, they also potentially would yeah. have the money from a sale of Kylian Mbappe, but no one else in Liga has any money. So you'd imagine that the problem, the problems there financially are going to deepen next season. Yeah. And there, there's just so much sort of on this, you know, City there you mentioned. What's City's record signing? 65 million on Rodri or perhaps Ruben Diaz? We saw a couple of people kicking off, Sam, that you put Rodri ahead of Ruben Diaz in the, in the record signings things. But either way, either way, that's a long way off. 150 million pounds for yeah, Harry Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, over double that. And, and look at someone like Real Madrid and, and you look at Eden Hazard, right? This is the player that jumps out to me and in a similar kind of age bracket, cost range. Ankle bracket. Ankle problem. Literally in a bracket. And you and you look at it and you go, oh, surely people are looking yeah, at that. I don't think how I... they got their fingers burnt. But you, you'd imagine other clubs are looking at Real Madrid and going, well, they've got their fingers burnt there. I am not going to be getting anywhere involved in that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Real Madrid are going to touch a Premier League player for a while, to be honest. But there's, there's just a huge difference between sort of 60 odd million and 150. Like, obviously, it's it's more than double. Like, if we were talking about Harry Kane as a 60, 70, 80 million pound signing here, then these concerns about whether whether or not it's good business, it's a good investment, they probably disappear. Mm. It's just the sheer size of this asking price. Yeah, and, exactly. And, they, and it's because so much money. Yeah, well, because Harry Kane signed a new deal a yeah. couple of years back, he's got three years left on this contract. He holds none of the cards, yeah. right? He holds absolutely none. And, and as you said, you know, Dean, it's his fault that he signed the contract. You know, it's not it's not Spurs' fault that he has agreed to right. spend the next five years with him. That is this his is, own fault. This is a common trend now in modern football. We see yeah. players jump at these big contracts. I mean, to be fair, Kane's contract isn't actually that big compared to the players I'm about to name, but it's still a long-term it's a long contract. contract yeah. And Neymar, Pogba, Alexi Sanchez, Meza Ozil, Gareth Bale, they all signed these big contracts at big clubs and then two years later decided they want to leave and they couldn't because they were stuck. Nobody could afford to get them out and nobody could match the wages that they were on. And they had to wait and wait. And you know, a couple of those players are still stuck where they were. A few have got moves that haven't basically worked out. And then there's Gareth Bale. Um, so it's, it's become more of a trend. And I mean, I've seen a few people on social media saying as well, like there's nothing Daniel Levy can do here. Like if Kane's decided he wants to get away, then he'll have to sell. Well, Let's cast your mind back about six or seven months to when Deli Ali decided he was going to leave Tottenham, shall we? Um, that was written about for months. Like Deli Ali is on the verge of joining PSG, but only if Daniel Levy um, gives it the okay. Daniel Levy never gave it the okay. Daniel Levy likes Deli Ali a lot and was like, "You are staying part of this project because I like watching you play football at my club." And Deli Ali is still there, um, and you know. Kane is Tottenham Hotspur. He is Tottenham. Like, you can't replace him. Who possibly can you sign that can replace Kane? You can't guarantee anybody can. So, yeah, let's, we can move on now, lads. But I don't see this one's going to get off the ground, to be honest with you, unless Harry Kane becomes, well, very, very disruptive at the club that he, he loves. And it's not really on the cards. It's not in his character, is it? Dean, if this is some kind of cheap way of trying to prevent more questions over the course of the summer, then you failed, my friend. We'll be having them every week. <laughs> Kane's the new Sancho. This is the new Sancho saga. You heard it here first, the Kane conundrum. Sam, on to you. What do you love this week? 
Yeah, I'm going to take us on a different track. Dean talks about mega transfers. I'm going to talk about homegrown goodness. And mm, nice. as a lot of you guys know, obviously been working with Southampton for a few years. And over the last three months or so, it's been a little bit grim. Um, obviously, they've fallen away in the league and it's been very difficult sometimes to write very positive things about them, which is, you know, I kind of have to put a positive slant on it. If it's going into Southampton program or if it's going on the website, that's that's... That's pretty standard, pretty natural. And so um, I've been trying very hard over the last few months to kind of get through that a little bit. But finally, this week, I've actually got something that has genuinely made me glow a little bit and something really nice to think about and write about, which is the homegrown goodness of Southampton in the form of Nathan Teller scoring his first Premier League goal for the club. And then he assisted uh, a goal as well in the same game. And then Theo Walcott signs a two-year deal today, this morning, or Tuesday morning. It's been announced that he signed a nice two-year deal to continue to be a saint. Um, and these two players, at the, they're opposite ends of the spectrum of the Southampton Academy. And Teller has talked about how he has looked up to Walcott. He was one of his idols growing up. And having Walcott join the club last summer was a bit of a dream come true for him because he was able to train with someone that he idolised as a kid. And then he's able to play with him on the pitch and start to combine for goals. And now Teller gets his first goal for the Premier League, in the Premier League for the club and Walcott continues for another couple of years. It's just very wholesome. And after how I felt after the cup final with Leicester's celebrations and the chairman getting onto the pitch and, oh, I think I'm just having a really emotional week, guys. You are enjoying enjoying some emotion this week. You spoke at length about the fact the Leicester celebrations made you a little bit tearful, uh, and now you're and now you're kind of waxing lyrical over homegrown players. I would caveat that Nathan Teller's first Premier League goal doesn't count because it was against Fulham. Yes, yeah, yeah, Championship okay. club. Yeah, like it doesn't really it doesn't really count. Like anybody can score against. They're rubbish, mate. Yeah, so so I'm not sure that hundred percent counts. Um, I can't but, believe that Theo Walcott is 32. Mm. That's, thought he'd be older. Well, I re- I was there when he joined Arsenal when he was 17. I was at the <laughs> press conference. I literally remember him walking into the room with his mum and dad. They came into the in and they were like, I was working for a paper, and they they came and they they shook hands with everyone. He was like this really shy, quiet schoolboy, literally. Um, he was such a nice kid. And I'm like, oh, Theo Walcott's 32. And this contract's going to take him to like 34, 35. That's scary. Um, but also Theo Walcott, I'm, from what I understand, he'll he'll become part of the coaching team at Southampton as well after this, which fantastic. Like like Sam says, like this is the kind of stuff that you want to see um, in modern day football because there's so much greed and money spoken about that it's nice to see a tale like this come around. Hmm. It's um, I, I agree. I agree. Fair play to Theo Walcott and fair play to Southampton. Uh, a nice story to end the season uh, and a bad 2021 so far, really, for Southampton. So at least a little bit of uh, of, of joy from them. Yeah, it's been rough, although it depends what happens tonight against Leeds. Obviously, this comes out after that. But as I speak right now, Southampton are on a two game win streak in the league which is something I've not been again, able to say. Again, one of, them, one of them is against Fulham. It doesn't count. <laughs> like, I, I but we'll see what happens against Leeds. I don't think you understand. Um, okay, right. Uh, quick two things that I love. Um, one was the absolute unbelievable nature of how good Barcelona were against Chelsea in the Women's Champions League final on Sunday night, and especially in the first half. Um that Chelsea didn't, they did give them a leg up in some ways. Uh, conceding after 30 seconds of a known goal is, is not the best way to start any final, I would imagine. No. But Barca were absolutely unbelievable. And look, a lot of people um, weren't quite clear on, on how that was going to go. There was a lot of talk. And look, we, we've spoken at length about Emma Hayes' Chelsea on on the Monday post box and, and across from uh, various things this season. But we, you know, we know that they're a good side. That front three of Pernil Harder, Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby has been absolutely exquisite. And we thought this was going to be a tight game and Barcelona gave them a lesson uh, in so many ways. And uh, Jenny Hermoso with maybe the best number nine performance I've seen without scoring a goal um, <laughs> in some years. And considering her team scored four, uh, for, for her to be a player of the match we're, without scoring as the number nine, um, I thought was quite something. But she was she was absolutely sensational. So uh, fair play to Barcelona. Uh, but also a bit of news that's broken the sporting. It's a, a leak, a rumour that Karim Benzema 
is going to be back in the France squad for this summer's Euros. Now that, that is something that I can get on board with. Mercedes Benzema obviously missed out on a load of things as the part of the national team. Won't have that World Cup medal to, to complete his collection in many ways. But his performances over the course of this year have been nothing short of mesmeric um, at times. And I'm just delighted for him. Like absolutely delighted for him that he's got this recall to the national team, that he finally seems to have been given, you know, that place back in the squad as, as France kind of try and challenge for, for European glory this summer. And it's just nice, isn't it? I just think that, that Benzema's great. And in so many ways, he deserves everything good. And, and also, I think it gives him a chance at, at looking at those kind of top trophies, right? You look at what... You look at what he's achieved in terms of his club career, and then you kind of match that with a, with a national career. And if he was to win an international tournament such as this with France, I do think it elevates his standing more and more. And perhaps across Europe, Benzema is the the like the epitome of the underrated player who's not actually underrated by anyone because everyone is like, oh, Karen Benzema is absolutely unbelievable. But he's never been put maybe in that kind of top, top bracket. Um, and I think now we're seeing more and more people look at his career and be like, you know what, that is absolutely sensational. And to go and crown it with, with something with the national team, I think would be would be remarkable. So I'm just delighted for Karen Benzema. So that's basically my things we love this week. Nice bit Ooh. of symmetry there because um, you just talked about Jenny Hermoso, someone a, a number nine, a number nine who didn't score a goal but played brilliantly somewhere between 2013 and 2017. That was Benzema's whole thing because he was the service, he was the provider for Bale and Ronaldo. And he, he and Jenny Hermoso probably played some very similar games of football at certain points. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I don't see France not winning the Euros. You know, I've gotten down as my favourites already, but like adding Benzema to a, a list of forwards that's Griezmann, Giroud, Mbappe, Usman Dembele, Kingsley Coman, Ben Yedda, Marcia. Um, <laughs> like that's choices. That's choices. Like when you need to win a game and you can want really to change game plans. Like there's enough variations there that you're pretty much seeing off whatever you've got in front of you, as long as the coach can spot how to do it. Well, maybe we should do some kind of big Euro 2020 preview in the coming weeks. And talk Good about idea. We should do that yeah. before it starts. We yeah. should do that. We should do that. <laughs> but before <laughs> the Euros kick off, there are two major European finals to talk about. And we're going to be doing the first of those after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. And we're going to look at the Europa League, starting with the final and then a little bit more generally as well. But I think it would be only right if we start with the final next Wednesday in Gdansk. We, wait, 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 wait. We, we are definitely going to do this, Jack. But let's change roles for a second. Because if there's anyone, anyone that's going to be taking this section and giving us the insight on the Europa League, it's you. You literally host a Europa League show. So <laughs> you need to you need to do this mate you need to take it and I think I don't know about this like I watched the least Europa League out of all of us so let's swap roles okay um, I've, by the way I've just changed my mic over um is that because you're the host now you're like hi I'm the captain now yeah also I'm just really bad at technology as everybody's learned by now and um yep hadn't switched <laughs> hadn't switched the sound across to my mic for the first section so well done me Sorry to everyone that had to turn the sound up probably for that first segment. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be Jack. I'm Jack Collins. Um, <laughs> fish bash wash. Let's start with the Europa League final. Jack, are you there? I am here, yeah. Hello, sir. So I would like you to give me, for this final, could you just tell us who's playing, when it is, and three things we're going to need to watch out for, please? Okay. Um, obviously, Manchester United play Villarreal in the Europa League final in Gdansk next Wednesday night. I like a midweek final. Um, yeah, me too. I, I think there's something about that that, that keeps it quite special. Um, and I was going to do three battles um, that I thought we were gonna, we could talk about. And, and some of these are battles, but I think there's, there's other things to, to talk about as well. And I suppose we'll start with kind of Edison Cavani against the two centre-halves of Villarreal. So we'd, we'd imagine it's going to be Pau Torres and Raul Albiol. And I've spoken before about uh, Albiol and Torres being this really nice kind of mixture of experience, youth, pace, aerial ability. But they're going to have a job on their hands because Edison Cavani against Roma was borderline unplayable, would be, uh, would be the description I would use. And I think... You know, you you've spoken about it, Dean. It's um, it's one of those different things that, you know, Cavani over the course of you know this season 
has just steadily gone on this upward trajectory, hasn't he? Yeah. he he's kind of, he's looked at the, the where United were and he has just become such a crucial part of the squad. And to the point where if he didn't start this final, you would be absolutely gobsmacked. He has to, yeah. Like he's become the focal point of that team. He's like the hero that United have been crying out for in attack. And like, he's, he's just got so many different areas of his game that suit the style of football that United play right now. Um, he's perfect, isn't he, for it? And if, look, when it comes to these games, there's definitely a tendency from my point of view to not really trust United to get the job done. And we saw like with Luis Suarez at Atletico the other day, scoring that crucial goal that leaves them in touch and distance of winning La Liga. And I think you need that experience at Man United as well. Like you want a big chance in a final fall into Edinson Cavani. Like you don't really want it falling to Rashford. I'm not like he's obviously can finish great, but he's also really inconsistent. And I don't fully trust Marcus Rashford or Greenwood. I do trust Fernandez. But I just think it gives United an extra edge having Edison Cavani now and like having him for that extra year is obviously going to be great for them. So, yeah, I think that that, that battle is fair enough. Um, yeah. Best way to unlock the best out of Bruno Fernandes is to utilise Edison Cavani uh, and, and Rashford as well, who's probably a bit of an underrated passer of the ball and crosser, really. Yeah. Um, these two players whipping whipping certain balls in from different angles, that sort of Kevin De Bruyne angle or the wider angle or feeding those through balls. The best way to get the best out of these players is to play Cavani. I know that Greenwood's had a wonderful end to the season, and but I don't really I don't really expect to see Greenwood starting this game. I know he's been yeah. excellent and he's been in form, and that's a man you would love to bring off the bench. But this this is what you have invested in Cavani for, isn't it? Well, no, totally. but I actually think I, I I disagree with you in some ways. I think that Mason Greenwood should play. I think he should start on the right. You think Rashford should not be in the I team? Should, I think Marcus Rashford should not be in this side right now. No, I actually do think that. Mm-hmm. There's zero chance of that happening. No, no, no. I, it's not going to happen. Right. I'm okay. not suggesting that it's going to. But It's not I, something it, to watch out for. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no do not. not watch out for Greenwood starting instead of Rashford. because that's No, not happen. it won't happen. What's okay. number two then, Jack? Uh, well, I want to talk about Villarreal's goalkeeper situation um, okay. because Villarreal are in the position and, and quite a lot of teams do this. Obviously, we've seen it at Chelsea a little bit and we used to see it with Barcelona loads where they have a cup keeper, right? They yeah. have a cup keeper. Geronimo Rulli is the cup keeper of Villarreal. Okay. The, the problem with this is that Geronimo Rulli isn't great. Um, <laughs> and in the background, the man who plays in the league, Sergio Asenjo, is one of the best keepers in Spain, one of the most reliable keepers in Spain. He is an excellent, excellent goalkeeper. Um, now, if you're Unai Emery, I don't know how you face. I don't know how you place this. I don't know what you do with this. I think you, you look at it and you go, surely I have to play my best goalkeeper in a Europa League final. But I don't think he's going to. I don't yeah, think he's going really. to. I think there is an agreement. It's more common, I think, in Spain. I remember Jose Pinto had it at Barcelona. His thing was, I just play the cup games. I play all the cup games. Just the domestic cup games. Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. His, his one was a little bit different. But... No, but they had this, Barcelona had this with Bravo and Testegen. Yeah. This is this is relatively common. The problem here, Jack, is, and I appreciate everything you're saying, you look at the appearances here, Rui has started 12 games in the Europa League this season and Asenjo has only started one. Presumably there was an injury or something. The last game that Rui played was an absolute disaster against Arsenal. They are so lucky to be in this position because he was like, he's like trying to catch a bar of soap in the box. And I understand the agreement, but at a certain point, you've got to look at the last thing this player served up and be like, yeah, I'm going to go with my main guy. It's a cup final. I mean, you got it, right? I think so, but I don't think he's going to. <laughs> Honestly, that's just, that's just nuts because you just give yourself the best chance of winning a cup final, don't you? I know look, Chelsea did it at the weekend, put Kepper in goal, but I guess we're talking of a different tier of goalkeeper choice yeah. to make aren't we so um, yeah we are but there you go Chelsea I mean, did it's lose definitely the cup something final. to watch out for you look at that team yeah. sheet the first thing you're looking at but hang on what about United's own keeper selection because Henderson again and De Gea. but I think that again they are they're in a they're in a place where both of those keepers are just fine aren't they like both I don't know about Henderson even... anymore to be honest he's positioning on that Mo Salah goal the other yeah, day okay, it wasn't great it wasn't <laughs> about De Gea anymore either to be fair I know I think they both need they need to sell both but De Gea was one ex- of these Villarreal keepers De Gea was excellent against Roma 
Um, really did keep United in the game in that weird period where it looked like Roma were about to suddenly run riot and and, and start to claw it mm. back. And and De Gea's gymnastics, shall we say, in goal, mm. uh, were the reason that United were able to see out with relative comfort in the end, I think. So there's that. So yeah, very much keep an eye on who Villarreal have in goal. Right. Next on the show, we have number one, Jack. I'm interested in the sort of battle of the creators here. Um, obviously, Bruno Fernandes is, as you said, at the at the top being absolutely exceptional and has been exceptional, has been that player for United who has stepped up when pretty much nobody else has um, and has dragged this side over the last two or year and a half back to, to somewhere where they feel like they can compete. And, and it is so much on him. On the other hand, we have this sort of strange story of Danny Parejo, right, who who is the silk in Villarreal's midfield compared to the steel of an Etienne Capoue or a Francis Coquelin. Uh, Parejo is, is the man who pulls the strings in there, who, who keeps it ticking, who makes it happen. And he's obviously come across from rivals Valencia after being let go at the end of last season. You'll remember we spoke about this at the start of the year that we thought Valencia were having an absolute nightmare. Pereira had to give his own press conference on Instagram where he cried a lot and basically was like, I'm really sorry I didn't want to leave the club. He's now at their rifles for Uriel from down the road and has led them to a Europa League final. And you're sort of there going, I wonder how he feels right now. And I wonder what the Valencia board are looking at and going, hmm maybe shouldn't have let that, that lad go, really. Um, it's, a, it's a really strange one, um, but it, it's one that I, I think will be quite defining here. You, you, you let Danny Pereira have time on the ball and he will control a game. Now, I don't think United are going to do that. I think that they will hassle him. I think they'll harry him. I think what will be interesting is seeing the flat two in the middle that Emery prefers against the three that you'd imagine that United are going to field and see if they can over, overrun that midfield and swamp it. Um, but yeah, this kind of battle between who can get on the ball and dictate Bruno Fernandes or Danny Parejo, I think is going to be really crucial to, to the outcome of this game. So um, yeah, it's something I'm really looking forward to watching. And something, something to highlight as well with both of these players, but in particular Parejo is the set pieces. The set piece delivery on both of these guys is out of this world, really. They're, they're so, so good. And as, it, as these finals often come down to these very, very fine margins and, and little moments here and there, having a player like that on the pitch to deliver that moment of quality, that undefendable ball, is so important because like league campaigns and, 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 long, and longer campaigns, obviously they're won by teams, but showpiece events and finals and stuff like that, and they're won by individual moments and individual players and individual actions. And Danny Perejo and Bruno Fernandes are the two players here that you're looking at that are going, this could be you. This could be your moment. You could deliver the moment here that can win this. Yeah. I was surprised to see Fernandez play as much as he did in the Europa League. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. we all were. He's he's played almost every minute. You know, there was the Sociedad game when he, when he only played half of it, but every other game, like he's played almost the full ninety minutes, if not the full ninety minutes. Um, and obviously, that just shows how much importance Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is putting on this piece of silverware. And I think that with that, Jack, let's move on and look at three reasons you think Man United should be confident of getting the job done. Okay, uh, I'll go for three to one, right? Um, and three is the injury to Samuel Chukweze. Um, now, Chukweze is, has been electric this season and he's finally started to add a little bit of, of end product, I think, to, to kind of the skill set that we all already knew he had. We've seen those goals as assists in the Europa League and him being stretched off against Arsenal was a really bleak sight because he'd really started to to come into his own, I think, to, to you know, to really explode into into life. And, you know, Sam, you know, I've been watching watching him for, for a little while now, Sam Echequese, and we saw him come through the ranks of Villarreal and, and we were like, that kid's one to keep an eye on. Uh, and his kind of move into the first team was so seamless. He just felt like, you know, he was dropped in and he just felt like he'd been there forever. Now, his end product wasn't always there. He did, you know, tend to squander chances. His final ball was often lacking. We've seen that really change, I think, this year. Um, and he is an absolute menace on that right-hand side. And if he was fit, I would have put him versus Luke Shaw as probably my number one battle to keep an eye on. That was, you know, something I was really looking forward to, to watching and, and seeing that match up. So his injury, he's a massive uh, reason for, for United to, to celebrate in some ways. I'm obviously not going to celebrate another player's in a, uh, injury, but it's, it's a reason for them to gain confidence because, you know, much as Jeremy Pino, who I like a lot, 
um, is fun and dynamic and, and, and explosive. He's just not Chiquese. Uh, and, and, and losing a player of that caliber is, is always going to harm uh, how many chances. So, so that's my, my first reason. Yeah, yeah, the way he twists and turns uh, and sort of flicks left, flicks right. It, it, you're right that for a long time, the end product didn't really click. And he was a player who would turn his fullback inside out once, twice, beat him again. And then sort of nothing really happened after that. And there were a lot of appearances, a lot of dribbles, a lot of take-ons and not an awful lot happening after any of it. But this season, it just started to click, developing that that willingness to shoot, that willingness to put himself at the right angle for a shot and and that killer instinct and that and that kind of lust for goals that you kind of need now as a wide forward. And to not have any of that for the uh, for the final is, is obviously a massive blow. So for United, this is absolutely a win. And it's such a shame that Chukwueze probably isn't going to be fit. Like I have seen a couple of reports that he's you're fighting to be fit, racing to be fit, et cetera, et cetera. But we have to pour serious doubt on the idea that this guy is going to be able to start this final mm. at this stage. And even if he does, I guess he's not going to be like as productive as he would have normally be. So we see like with Harry Kane in cup finals, like not always a good idea to put one of your best players out if they're not going to be able to affect a game the way you would want them to anyway. Right. What's number two, Jack? I just think kind of the experience of winning things that's within this Manchester United squad. Now, obviously, there are players who won this exact tournament four years ago. De Gea, I mean, Phil Jones is still there, although we haven't seen him forever. Paul Pogba. Uh, Rashford, Martial, there, there are players in this squad who were there at that point, right? And, and, and have got over the line. Yes, but uh, very much not in the squad for that yeah. final. Um, but, you know, they, these are players who who featured, who were, who were part of that team, who, you know, got that over the line that time. And I think you just look at the squad as a whole and there's just people who have won these. You take, you know, a Pogba, who's won the World Cup. You take a Cavani who's been a serial winner through his career, a Juan Mata. You know, all of these players have won things. And even Bruno Fernandes with things like the Nations League, right? You know, there, there is, there is, there's a kind of winning mentality, I think, that feels like it will come out in this final. I think there's an element of United here where they feel experienced at this point. You know, Villarreal have not been in a European final before. Manchester United won this exact final four years ago. That in itself mm. is is something to hang on to, I think. And, and the fact that this squad is built of, you know, players who have won things across the world, who have who have got it done in, in so many ways, I think it's just a kind of maybe, maybe a little top level, but a reason to be confident. United will walk out in that final and won't be overawed by the occasion. You know, you'd imagine they're not going to freeze and you never know how that will look. You know, we talked about the UWCL at the start of this year. At the start of this thing, you, you could tell that Barcelona had been in a final and Chelsea hadn't before at a European level because mm. Chelsea froze. And now I don't think Vera will freeze because I think they have the leadership in the squad to, to not do that. But I do think there is a, a sense that they might be awed by the occasion, whereas I don't think United will be. The only thing I would say of the flip of that is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hasn't won anything. Mm. And I think that that's something that is... He obviously, yeah, at some point, every manager Mate, has you're to... you're ruining my reasons why you... <laughs> your reasons yeah, like, Real should be excited. <laughs> but, you know, Solskjaer hasn't won anything since 2013, and that was the Norwegian Cup. Um, big one, though. It's, it's a big one, and it was eight years ago. Um, so, you know, there's something to prove for him there, and I, I think that that is... While you can have players in there that have won things, if your manager hasn't, tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think so. I just think you know the, the leadership on the pitch, the, the likes of Cavani will yeah. would just maybe be something that United can have an edge on uh, compared to, to Villarreal. So that's where I was yeah. going with that. But what's their main reason, mate? Why do you think United should I, believe they win the cup final? They have the best squad in the tournament, um, and and from the moment they dropped into the Europa League, they had the best squad in the Europa League. And favorite since day one. I think yeah. it, they, they should have been. Uh, it's one of those things where you look at it and, and Sam says this often on the podcast. He says often we talk about things and we 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 dissect them in great depth. But a lot of the time, the better team just wins. And, and United have what is, we think, the best squad in this tournament. And look, there were plenty of, of, of hurdles for them to reach this stage. You know, they played AC Milan. They played Roma. This hasn't been, they played Real Sociedad. This has not been an easy run to the finals they even played the great success story of this tournament granada um and and they, and they got through all of those hurdles right yeah they, they unbelievably was... granada ended up running in the closest 
<laughs> exactly. And then they got, well, Milan. But, it, you know, it, it was one of those where you, you, you look at the route they've taken and it hasn't been plain sailing. United have got through the hoops every single time. And that is because they are on paper the best side in the tournament and mm. and I think they showed that in the in the semi-finals I think anybody who's not making United favorites for this final is a little bit mad um and that is probably the, the the big one that fans should be like yes we should win this game now it doesn't always work out like that the better team doesn't always win games but a lot of the time they do and and yeah. if you're looking for reasons to be confident that is probably the supreme one yeah. And I also think that that's a reason not to be so worried about the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually hasn't won anything because a lot of what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done tactically is kind of place the game plan in the hands of three or four incredible footballers all season long. He's asked Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandes, Cavani and a bit of Rashford to sort of just do it. Just go ahead and get this done. And they very often just replied and come up with the goods. And so to your point, Dean, about Ole. I'd say the fact that United just have a better team. That's what's kind of been carrying them through a lot of games this season. And that would be a reason that sort of offsets the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer concern. And Jack, just to sing our own praises for a sec, we obviously had United as the favourites to, to win this tournament back in February, didn't we? When we did a preview for the, the knockout stages. We just said they've got the best squad. If it goes to plan, they'll win it. And they're in pole position to do it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it seems fair, mate. Right, so let's move on to Villarreal then. Jack, what are the three reasons that they should be confident that they win the Europa League? Well, I'm going to roll three and two into the same kind of point. Um, okay, my, my first point is just Gerard Moreno, who <laughs> is the most underrated player in Europe um, yeah. and continues to score goals. Um, and they have a strike force, which, you know, at the weekend, they beat Sevilla 4-0. Carlos Baca, who's basically been a bit part player, scored a hat-trick, been like, I want to start the Europa League final. Obviously, he's won it with Sevilla. There is that experience there as well. Um, but that front two, I think, can cause problems. And the second reason I had was, was the fact that Harry Maguire is, is, is looking more and more likely that he's going to miss this game. Um, obviously, Man United played their first choice, centre-back pairing without Maguire in Baye and Lindelof against Liverpool. They conceded four. Um, and I, I think that Moreno and Baca or Alcacer, whoever starts, will cause them a genuine headache. And if Harry Maguire does not start this final, Villarreal will score. Villarreal will score. Um, I have absolutely no doubt about it. Um, and, and I think that in itself is a reason to be optimistic if you're a Villarreal supporter, because if you get the first goal in the final, you can see that you're troubling opposition centre-backs. You can see that your star men are up against people who don't feel confident without their leader at the back. I think you start to gain confidence yourselves. You start to draw to draw on that, to suck it up. Um, and I think that the lack of a Maguire here, who has quietly been one of the best defenders in the Premier League this season, I think, um, uh, who has really, really kind of come into his own as part of this United squad. I think if he's not there, Villarreal have a real chance of getting in at uh, behind this defence, getting in at this defence. And I think if chances fall to Moreno, Moreno will take them. Yeah. I mean, so I saw um, on Twitter someone said, if you ever wanted to know why um, Harry Maguire is worth £80 million, watch the Leicester and Liverpool games. <laughs> it's like, it's not when he is there that you notice what a good defender he is. It's when he's not. And that's, that's probably a fair point, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not necessarily what he brings. It's what, what they lack when he's not there. Yeah, um, and it is leader. that leadership, yeah, right? Yeah, they, they look, they were sixes and sevens for so much of that Liverpool game, right? They were just, you know, looking at each other, who's picking up, who's dropping off. And obviously they will work on this. Obviously without Maguire, you know, they will hopefully be sitting on the training field drilling this over and over and over again if you're a United fan. Um, but I, I just think that someone of Moreno's calibre, of someone with his footballing intelligence, with his ability, when we spoke about him a couple of weeks back on on You Need to Know, we, we talked about the fact that he ca he has that kind of ghost-like element. He can kind of Thomas Muller his way into boxes, not get picked up. Um, and I think if you've got two centre-backs who aren't particularly experienced playing next to each other, who are a little bit wary of who's going, who's coming, who are, their communication isn't great, who lack a little bit of leadership, then Moreno is a man that could take advantage of that situation. And I can see him scoring here. Mm, you're starting to change my mind here about who I think is going to win. But... Me too, actually. You're really yeah, selling this. this. Um, go on then, mate. Number one, like, what's the main reason we should all think that Villarreal will win the final? There's only one man in the entire world that loves the Europa League more than me. Um, and that man is Unai Emery. Um, now, you spoke, obviously, about Solskjaer's lack of managerial experience yeah. in finals. Um, 
It's the complete opposite in the VRAL dugout. This is a man who has been there, done that, bought the T-shirt three consecutive times. Um, you know, he, he is a man who, who knows how to win this competition. And while United have that experience on the pitch, VRAL have that experience off it. You know, when mm. we talked about the FA Cup final uh, on Monday on the podcast, we talked about the fact that Thomas Tuchel's watching Brendan Rodgers giving instructions within the first 15 minutes and going, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you influencing the game in ways that I don't like? And I think that Emery will try and put that onus on Solskjaer. I think he will be edging the technical area for points of this to be like, to make Solskjaer think, what are you trying to do? What, what are you getting at? And, and I'm intrigued. And we spoke there at the start about the fact that it's probably going to be a two-man midfield against the three-man midfield in terms of the way that they're going to set up and, and how that works in terms of getting the ball into the strikers quickly, getting the ball kind of over the top and trying to push that defensive line. I think Emery will see that. I worry that Emery overthinks it if they're 1-0 up at halftime and tries to sit on it. Uh, that would concern me deeply, frankly. Um, but... He is someone who has won finals, knows how to win finals, knows how to see them out. Uh, and compared to the you know, inexperience in the other dugout of Solskjaer at this level, that's something that, that Villarreal should be absolutely looking at and going, we have a massive, massive advantage here. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's um, what's more important, an experienced team or an experienced manager? Because that's basically what we're getting here. Um, and that now of Emery, just like knowing how to win a cup final, Oh, I can't be underrated. Like, he really, I really can see it happening. I really can. Like, for all the quality that like Bruno is capable of, and like obviously we've seen Pogba coming into his own recently, and talks about Cavani. That mystique around Emery is, is real. It's real, and I think that Villarreal probably like the fact as well that nobody outside of them fancies them to win this final. Yeah, it's a, it's a positive, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And he thinks he's got a special group of players here. You know, seeing VTs of him going, look, I, I feel like these players buy into the club. They completely yeah. and utterly buy into what I'm doing. Now, that's not to say the United players don't. But I think there is that kind of sense of camaraderie of being an underdog, right? Of, of being able to be like, no one fancies us, but we do. And, and, and there's nothing to suggest, especially if Maguire's out, that they cannot get joy out of this United side. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this plays out. I think... I think Emery goes for it early doors. That's where that's where my head's at tactically. I think that Emery is going to try and start fast um, because I think you look at what happened to Arsenal when it ended up being a slog. And I think that where you, where you look at how they did really well in the first leg, that in so many ways was just basically them starting quickly, trying to put pressure on and, and forcing errors. And I think they'll try and do the same here, especially if United are lacking Maguire. Yeah, I'm just looking at the odds. Um, United are odds on favourites to, to win this game. Um, five to two on. So basically, to for anyone who doesn't bet, like you've got to put five pounds on to win two pounds. Like that's how confident bookmakers are that United get this done. Uh, Villarreal are two to one. Um, so which is, which is double your money. Which is double your money, yeah. And I mean, that's not great odds, but it's a two-horse race, right? And yeah, it's, it's a cup final that's with right, two Dean. teams. There are only two teams that can There's win this two final. Two teams that can win this final. <laughs> Europa then, League outright. Yeah, and they're not that they're not that far apart that they should be that golf in the betting, really, I don't it's think. Moreno, to, it's Moreno to score any time and VRAL to win if you're going to do well, it. That's go. the bet. That's there you the go. bet. There you go. You heard it here first. Um, right. Enough. DJ, I'm actually going to wrestle the hosting back off you for a second. Oh, thank God for that. That was boring. Uh, because we're going to move a little bit more generally now. And I want to throw to you for a transfer ranking a little bit based on this game. Yes, there are actually two transfer potential transfer moves that are interesting around this one. And at number two, it's around Eric Bailly. Because even though he's signed a new contract at Man United and they've got him in mind to... You know, compete with Lindelof to, to partner Maguire at the back next season. Villarreal are actually really interested in signing him. And if United sign another centre-back in the summer, there's a chance that Eric Bailly does leave and join Villarreal. I've just clocked. How have I not figured this out already? That Eric Bailly is playing his former club in the final. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. An, Eric Bailly, it's an Eric Bailly and, uh, and a kind of uh, Giuseppe Rossi derby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know for Eric Bailly like he's he's wanted to leave United for a little while because there's been a bit of friction at times with him and Solskjaer um Solskjaer's never had full confidence in I think that him being fully 
match fit. I don't. I think that that's probably fair. Like, yeah, that's Baye's been fair. fit, but has he been match ready? Probably not. And I think that there are still times. There's that challenge, wasn't there, the other day when Baye looked like he'd given away a penalty and got away with it. The style of his defending is risky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that in the Premier League now, like you can't really take risks. And I think that it's something that does strike fear into Solskjaer with VAR is that that could easily have been given from an, from another um, perspective. Um, but yeah, Villarreal are keen on Baye coming back. And one of the reasons is that there's another player playing in this game who, well, it might be his last game for the club, I guess. Pau Torres, uh, centre-back for Villarreal. He's been watched by Man City and Man United for a long time now. If he has a great game in this final, if Cavani doesn't get a sniff because this guy's having one of the games of his life, might convince United that they actually need him. Swap deal. Swap deal. <laughs> Swap deal. So, yeah, keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on, on Pau Torres and, and see how he plays. And if you're a United fan who hasn't seen him before, then be aware of him and, and Play, pay very close attention because he, he could be wearing a red shirt next season. So Pau Torres has three motivations to play very, very well in this game. Number one is to win a trophy. Number two is to win a move to Manchester United. And number three is to hold Imerich Laporte out for his spot in the Spain national team. <laughs> because Laporte has obviously now declared for Spain ahead of the Euros. And Pau Torres is obviously, that's the role he's gunning for. Left-sided centre-back alongside Ramos. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like Fabrizio Romano suddenly decided that he's going to be the ranks FC insider. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of situation he's suddenly on. No, no, this is my job. <laughs> there we have it. There you have it. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Eric Bay Palatoris swap deal in the summer. Yeah, look out and for we're it. We're away. We're away. Right. Um, we'll go quickly, I think, into a little bit more generally about the Europa League. I want to just talk um, about the, the competition as a whole. Um, and, and talk a little bit about some of the best games that we've seen this season, because it has been a year of, well, goals FC in the Europa League. We've had some magisterial nights of goal scoring in this competition. Um, and we've had some absolutely unbelievable games uh, as well. And so I just wanted to just kind of give a nod to, to some of the best games of the tournament so far. Uh, and the first one I wanted to talk about quickly was... Young Boys 4, Leverkusen 3 in the first leg of the round of 32. Um, so Young Boys were 3-0 up at halftime. And everyone was going, what on earth is happening here? Why are Young Boys absolutely battering Leverkusen? Bear in mind, this was a Leverkusen side who at the time uh, were pretty much just, they'd just been knocked off the top of the Bundesliga by Bayern Munich. Um, they were in a, an absolute right vein of form. Uh, and they were goal scoring for fun. And everyone was going, what's going on? Why are young boys absolutely battering Leverkusen? This competition is mental, et cetera, et cetera. So Leverkusen came out and scored three goals in 10 minutes. <laughs> it was three all. Everyone was like, well, that's a bit more normal. And then no one scored for ages. And then in the 90th minute, young boys got the winner. Turned out to be the goal that basically saw off Leverkusen. And they ended up being knocked out of this tournament or off the back <laughs> of it in the second leg. So... Yeah, it was just an absolute chaotic, crazy game. There was a brilliant, brilliant goal by Moussa Diaby in the middle where he just lobs the keeper from about 25 yards. I think it's the second Leverkusen goal. Um, and, you know, just one of those where Patrick shit got a couple. You know, everyone's having a good time. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know, everyone's <laughs> enjoying themselves. It was a real kind of Europa League classic and it, and it made me, really made me smile. And then I wanted to talk about a game that I know both of you watched. Dinamo Zagreb 3, Spurs 0. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mishlav Orsic scoring the most unbelievable hat-trick yeah. after Spurs were 2-0 up at home on aggregate. And, you know, they went to the Maximir. Nobody gave Dinamo a chance. And... Orsic just ran the show. One of the best hat-tricks I've ever seen. I watched extra time in this. I've obviously seen the, the hat-trick back, but once it went into extra time, because it was 2-0 after full-time, wasn't it, to Dinamo Zagreb, went into went into the a final 30 minutes to decide it. And obviously all the other games were finished at that point. So you tune in. It's like the vultures descending, isn't it? Because everybody that was watching a different game goes, oh my God, are Spurs about to mess this up? And everybody switches over. And you've got Glenn Hoddle on commentary just going, oh, Spurs. 
like that, just like so upset with the fact that what was happening in front of him was that Spurs were throwing it away. It was it was a remarkable, remarkable hat-trick from Orsic and an incredible turnaround. I mean, to come back from 2-0 down to a better side as well yeah, yeah. from the first leg was just incredible. Yeah, Mourinho didn't last long after that, did he? That was, that was, I think that might have been the point where they were like, <laughs> I don't think this is going to work. Don't think the team and the manager are working in unison here. Yeah. Um, but what, I mean, I think the best thing that came out of that was the next day, Arsenal were linked with Mishlav Orsic. And you were like, yeah. okay. <laughs> like, is there anyone that can score goals against Spurs? We'll have, please. Um, so, yeah, that was a, that was a brilliant game. Um, and the best game, though, in the tournament, across two legs, I'll say, uh, was Steven Gerrard's Rangers playing Royal Antwerp. Um, the first leg was 4-3 to Rangers away. The second leg was 5-2 to Rangers at home, uh, meaning that the final score was 9-5 on aggregate. <laughs> 14 goals in a two-legged affair, seven <laughs> goals a game. And just absolutely delightful. Um, and it was just pure, pure Europa League chaos in its finest form. So, um, yeah, shout out to those two who basically just were like, nope, no defending from us. Thank you very much. We're going full on, you know, all out attack from, from start to finish. Uh, very, very enjoyable. Um, and to finalise our Europa League show, um, quickly talk about three great storylines from this season. Starting with uh, Yusuf Yazici of Lille, who we speak about a fair bit, scored a hat-trick at the San Siro. And it was just miraculous. I mean, Lille won 3-0 against Milan at the time, who, again, were flying. I mean, Lille yeah, This been was super weird, wasn't it? This felt odd, because Milan were just winning every game they played. And particularly yeah. at home as well, to just suddenly get turned over 3-0 at home by Lille, who we knew were good at the time, but we didn't really recognise as a proper title contender as they are viewed as right now. Obviously, they're just a, they're just a win away from winning Liga. Perhaps we didn't give them the credence they deserved, but it was weird to watch Milan, who just looked unbeatable, get completely and utterly turned over not just by a team but by one man yeah it, it was it was one of the best single person performances i've ever seen he just mm. he just was everywhere yazichi and it was a fully fully deserved hat trick it was like one of those ones you're like yeah you know sometimes you get you know a dirt kite hat trick where they score the entire <laughs> goal from six yards out and it, and whatever but this was just like oh he was the best player on the pitch by a country mile and he got a hat trick to match and it's nice when those things you know kind of work in unison right because yeah you know they're, they're, they're quite rare um number two i've put paulo fonseca's double in consecutive knockout rounds over his former clubs so he first knocked out praga uh, and then knocked out Shakhtar Donetsk. And I think it was like one of those moments where you went, yeah, he's just gone, you were wrong. You <laughs> wrong. Uh, and obviously, Fonseca has now left Roma. So yeah. we'll see who he gets next year. Maybe next year he can do Braga, Shakhtar, Roma uh, mm. and get them all get them all done. So um, we'll see how, how that one pans out. But it very much was, um, it felt like a moment for him. And, and at number one here, Sam, I'm actually just going to throw to you um, because... <laughs> The best storyline of this entire Europa League season was Granada's run, uh, their first time in the competition ever. And just to get to where they got to in the quarterfinals, just unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was sort of simultaneously amazing and completely and utterly exhausting and gruelling at the same time. Um, it was a, a, an absolute pleasure to watch the club in, in the first European campaign. And obviously there's always that residual... Um, Oh, I wish I wish we'd have been able to go and watch it because 100% we'd have been on a plane out to either Malmo or PSV or we're going you know to Cyprus. About, we would have gone to see yeah, AC Omonia in, yeah, we're <laughs> in going the groups. Omonia Om 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 and Nicosia. I've always wanted to go. Uh, it was just such a shame that you couldn't get to see it, but to even experience it at all was, was incredible. And look, Granada have played a hell of a lot of games this year. They've had a hell of a lot of injuries and it's been a real struggle over the course of 2021. Actually, it's a real... There's a real mirroring with Southampton here uh, in terms of an injury, injuries derailing a season. Um, but this campaign for Granada started in September when they went to Albania and they had to go and beat a team I cannot pronounce. Um, then they had to beat Lokomotiv Tbilisi. Then they had to beat Malmo away from home. And that was just to qualify for the group stage. Mm -hmm. So there's already three high stakes games because it was only one leg because of COVID. The risk reward is ridiculous. And it was so nerve wracking. And then you get drawn in a group. And the first thing you do is you beat PSV Eindhoven away from home. You think, oh, this is going to be a good season. This is going to be a good season. Anyway, 
actually screwed up the final game of the group, drew 0-0 with, with Pauk and surrendered first place. And that meant that we ended up drawing Napoli in the knockouts. And obviously, remember, Jack, I was like, well, that's... That's, that's that. Just, that's that. And then what happens? Somehow, over two legs, Granada beat Napoli. Incredible stuff. Then they beat Mould. And then finally... It's a bit too much. They bite off a little bit too much and they can't quite chew it down. Manchester United proved to be obviously too strong and too good. But to watch Granada playing against Paul Pogba and Cavani and Rashford was very weird, but very cool. And obviously I was in a massive huff that we lost both games. But then time heals all wounds and you can look back at it and you can think, wow, that was awesome. Yeah, I think so. Quarterfinals. It's amazing. Also, it's coming from the the playoff rounds, right? It's coming from those knockout rounds. And, you know, my love for this competition stems from that first Fulham run, right? Where Fulham went from the first playoff knockout round all the way through to the final. And to see someone come in from, you know, the early rounds, get through the group, start to charge through the knockout stage, it always gives me that kind of tingle of, oh, do you remember? And Mm. that's, I think that's the magic of this competition, right? That's the magic that, that people can, people can and regularly do make it through from the early stages into the deeper elements of this knockout round. And, and, and there's so much of that to be enjoyed. It's about, you know, it's giving team new teams a chance. And it's why I'm incredibly excited about the conference league, right? It's, it's about getting new teams into positions that they've never been to before. It's about stories like Granada, about them having their first European campaign and knocking out Napoli and, mm. and getting through a group stage and getting to the knockout rounds of a, you know, major European competition. And that's what the Europa League does best. And it's what I'm hoping the Europa Conference League will do even more of. Um, so absolutely. And I think that's probably, with that, a nice place to leave the Europa League, isn't it? One more thing, I reckon. Should we do some predictions for the final? Oh, yeah. Go on, then. Mm. Go on, then. Dean, you, do you want to start us off? Um, you did do a really good job of trying to get me to change my mind. Because that was about... 10, 15 minutes ago now, <laughs> I've gone back to, <laughs> to thinking nah, Man United will win this, won't they? 2-0. Two 2-0 nil. Two nil United. Sam? <laughs> I would I would love to say Villarreal here. And there is 40% of me that thinks that Villarreal are going to win this competition. Unfortunately, that it, that is superseded by the 60% of me that <laughs> believes that Manchester United will win the final. I am going to take Man United 2-1. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to flip the script because why not? Why not? I've I've convinced myself that if if I'm going to actually caveat this, if Harry Maguire doesn't play, Villarreal win this 2-1. Mm. And with that, we will leave the Europa League behind and we will do our melon of the week and our gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Can you hear purple? Listen to turquoise? What's the sound of a rainbow? Let's get real. Trying to sell TVs with audio is pretty dumb. So listen to me, Joel McHale. All we want is great-looking TVs with our favorite features, like the quality of Dolby Vision IQ, the smarts of Android TV, and the vibrancy of Quantum.Color. TVs like the Hisense ULED series. Visit Hisense.com and see for yourself. Hisense. Let's get real. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Dean Jones, it's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... The Chelsea fan that filmed a selfie <laughs> of the aftermath of Ben Chilwell's supposed equaliser. <laughs> don't do this, people. Don't do this. And definitely don't upload it or send it to anyone. Um, yeah. How, how did that get out? Exactly. If I film that, you're deleting it straight away, right? Exactly. Some of my mates were, were saying afterwards, like when the actual goal had, non-goal had happened, like I'm desperately searching Twitter here for some videos, but like can't find any. And then this one came out and it's like gold dust. If you haven't seen it yet, go and find it. Um, a, a bloke in the Chelsea end, you know, a couple of seconds after Chilwell has scored, um, his video in a selfie with his mates, one of them clearly off his head. Um, others just looking smug and obnoxious, as Chelsea fans often do. Um, but they just had this uh, this sense of like, of course we've scored, of course we've scored. We're Chelsea, we're Chelsea, and like 
they're kind of reveling in this moment and then uh, he's panning out to his mates and the fans that are behind him and you just see the screen come into view and they're saying VAR possible offside and then you just hear the Leicester end start roaring and you see all the facial expressions change and you're like yep don't film it mate don't film it this is modern football you never know these days um yeah that is that is melanish behavior lads yep. yeah it was yeah absolutely no doubt it's it's just bad all round right it's not necessarily like the videoing yourself of scoring a goal is one thing but like to let it get out <laughs> to let it get out oh mate Right. Sorry, I mean, obviously, I, being a Fulham fan, I might have indulged in that moment a little bit more than most would, and most might, maybe they weren't obnoxious. I just think that all Chelsea fans are, are not like me. Sorry, sorry, it's a personal thing. Um, no, it was, it was a very <laughs> funny video, and I think it's a very worthy Melon of the Week. Okay. <laughs> We've changed that siren, and, and it's going to continue being a sort yeah. of rolled R, to be honest. That's moment. fine. Um, it's just where I'm at with my it's life. Still nonsense, right gibberish, now. rubbish. Um, it means it's time for the gibberish ranking, son. Yeah, so this week, actually, it's not a ranking, but it is definitely, definitely gibberish. I just cool. needed to talk about this with you guys face to face. You'll have seen me tweet about it last week. It was the YouGov poll that asked men and women, which of the following animals do you think that you could beat in a fight if you were unarmed? <laughs> Did you see this, Dean, on my Twitter? No, I didn't see this. All right, Jack definitely saw it because he was tweeting tweeting a few things out, but we're going to go through it. Anyway, YouGov, for for those that don't know, is like like an independent, like, polling polling body or something like that, and you generally associate it with politics, I'd say. Very often, when you see the word YouGov, they're asking asking Mm. often young people about what they think of the Prime Minister or Brexit or something like that. So to see a YouGov poll about what animal you think you could beat in a fight definitely caught my attention for the right reasons to start with. And then the results, I think there's some shocks here on two levels. So what they did, Dean, and for the benefit of the audience, is they asked men and women separately and, and gained a percentage of men and women and how many of them they think or could think that they could beat the following animals in a fight. And it goes in order from rat to house cat, to goose, to medium-sized dog, eagle, large dog, king cobra, chimpanzee, kangaroo, wolf, crocodile, gorilla, elephant, lion, grizzly bear. The key words here, you could beat in a fight and you have to be unarmed, right? There's a lot to unpack here. We'll start at the bottom where only 76% of men think they could beat a rat in a fight. How big do you think a rat is? Well, I've seen some pretty big rats. I live in central London. I mean, look, I wouldn't fight her. I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even be up for the fight. Do you think you could beat it if it came to it? No, yeah. I would declare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian would tap out as soon as he saw the rat. I hate rats so much. <laughs> Me too, but if it was life or death, I think I could beat a rat. No, what am I going to do? Strangle it? What am I, how am I going to kill it? Kick it. it. Oh, yeah, you could kick it. Kick it. Stamp on it. it. Throw oh, it. Oh, no, Throw it I don't want to see the aftermath of that. All right. Yeah. I'd rather it's it just kill me. Weird. I'd it's rather it just bites my neck till Seven, I die. Right, seventy-four percent of men think they could beat a house cat, which means yeah. that a quarter of them yeah, can't. That's easy. Easy. That's yeah. easier than a rat, I think. I mean, there's less chance of being poisoned. There's also less chance. Like, there's there's more chance of you catching it. Mm, yes, probably. Like, you could probably, leather a cat, right? Probably, like, you yeah. you probably struggle to hit a rat if you were trying to kick it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, we move on to goose, 71%, medium-sized dog, 60%. I think after medium-sized dog, I think people are starting to kid themselves. Yeah. I do wonder if any man, other than maybe Bear Grylls, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone, could genuinely beat an eagle in a fight. <laughs> right, so this, this eagle one uh, pr- prompted my best, best drunk tweet in a while, actually. Um, I tweeted saying, what Egypt thinks they can beat an eagle in a fight? You couldn't even hit an eagle on a short par five, my guy. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> really e- pleased with. Eagles are vicious, airborne, tactical, and deadly, okay? And if you are one of the 38% of men and 23% of women that think you can beat an eagle in a fight unarmed, you are mistaken. <laughs> I think that large dogs are also beyond most of us, uh, but 31% of I men... I think and... a medium-sized dog is probably beyond me, if I'm honest. Like, 60% <laughs> his... of people thought they could beat a medium-sized dog. I'm not sure about that. So here's where it starts to get... Like, you're obviously wrong, but I guess there's like a one in a million... Could do could do this. King Cobra, (laughs) 
chimpanzee. I'm, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to a couple of people on this earth that they may be able to overcome that kind of threat. But for the large majority, you're wrong. And 8% of women definitely can't beat a king cobra. 23% of men definitely cannot beat a king cobra. Then- 23% a quarter of men think they could fight a king cobra and win. <laughs> Oh, mate. unarmed i don't know i really don't know it's f- fair to by the way it's worth pointing out that this is english people <laughs> this is this is a this is a poll done on english people this mm. might say a lot but here's where i think it gets really out of whack because kangaroos are kangaroo knock you out in one hit <laughs> are unbelievable boxers can disembowel you with a kick and yet 17 percent of you had the gall to believe that you could actually beat this thing unarmed no you wouldn't even survive this okay and a wolf also very difficult. Then there's the next tier. You're obviously not beating a crocodile. 10% of men think they can beat a crocodile in a fight unarmed. In, in, the, the thing about this is like, if you saw a crocodile, you'd leg it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not winning the fight. Maybe they think running away is winning the fight. I don't know. I really don't know. 9% of people think they can beat a gorilla in a fight. A gorilla. Okay. 9% of one. people think they can beat an elephant. <laughs> You can't even outlive an elephant Imagine by just staying away from it. I mean, <laughs> ele- elephants live for like a hundred years. Nine percent of men and eight percent of women feel they could beat a fight unarmed. An elephant. An mm. elephant, right? Can... Unbelievable. Well, let's see him prove it. Yeah, let's see. That's it. what anyway, I say to people like da- that. Prove we're down it. to the final two. Eight percent of men and seven percent of women think they could beat a lion. And seven percent of men and six percent of women think they could beat a grizzly bear unarmed. <laughs> beat a grizzly bear unarmed in a fight do you think do you, actually weirdly sam there's a flip on it because only seven percent of men think they could beat a lion it's the only one of the entire list where more women feel like they could beat the, the lion than men which i think I mean, is remarkable frank every single every single one of them is deluded um, everyone but, but, every single one of the 15 percent of people seven men and eight percent of women who thinks they can fight a lion and win is wrong immediately <laughs> Do you think people are just like doing this as a joke though? Like if someone was like to me, like they came up to me in the street and were like, do you think you could beat a, an elephant in a fire? I'm like, yeah, classic. Get out, mate. <laughs> Unless it was Ibrahimovic. Maybe he was just taking all these polls. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they went into the pub on the first day they reopened. Yeah. Yeah. Good fun Ridiculous. though. Anyway, I did enjoy. I did enjoy this, but I'd say for me personally, and I'd like to get your views on this as well. Rat, house cat, goose, medium sized dog. I could get away with it. Once we hit eagle or large dog, I think I'm in trouble. I, I don't c- even know if I, I don't. Well, I definitely wouldn't want to fight a goose. Have you I seen geese? They're I so vicious. Geese are vicious, man. They are. They're really like, bad. Yeah. I wouldn't want to fight a goose, and I don't think I could kill a medium-sized dog. Um, no. I suppose the answer isn't actually kill. It's it's beat, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I could not beat any of them. I, I don't think I could them. beat any of. I think maybe a rat and potentially a house cat. But that is that is it. That is the end of the line for me. I couldn't bring much. myself to kick a cat. Yeah, no. I so mean, I couldn't you, even I mean, do that. If it was you or the cat, you might. They're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, mate. This cat is squaring up to you. It ain't cute. Yeah, if it's mate. hissing at me, yeah, I might give it a kick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think little, on this little panenka, maybe. I think on this note, before we uh, before we go into bullying before anymore, we get, yeah, animals, yeah. before we get shut animal, down by Greenpeace and, and the RSPCA, we love animals. Yeah, we do actually. We don't want to fight any animals. Sam has um, two preferably. cats. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so on that bombshell, I think it's probably time to call cool. today. Um, and all there's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Ty. Cheers, mate. Don't go fighting any geese. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Do not kick any cats. My name is Jack <laughs> Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening to our Europa League preview. We'll be back next week to talk all things Champions League. We'll see you later. Take it easy. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill, it's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 